Uh, how many of you are excited for Christmas, kids? Yes? How many days until Christmas, kids? Six days. Somebody knew that pretty quickly. Uh, you know, and for, for parents each and every year, uh, getting Christmas gifts is a joy. Sometimes maybe it's a stress. Uh, you know, with inflation, uh, it, there is a, have you, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, PNC has an annual Christmas price index. Have you seen this? It's pretty interesting. Every year, PNC, they have a Christmas price index that measures the total cost of the 12 days of Christmas. You know the song, right? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. So if you really love somebody, apparently, you will get them the 12 days of Christmas. But according to PNC's annual Christmas price index, it totals the cost of the gifts of the holiday song. And, uh, and uh, for all of those lovebirds in that song, it comes at a hefty price this year. Uh, so if you're planning on this, I hope that you have deep pockets. Uh, two turtle doves will cost you 50% more this year, uh, which is going to land you at about $450. Uh, what about those three French hens? Well, the three French hens are up 40.5% this year. That's going to run you $255 for three French hens. Uh, and the six geese Elaine, they saw prices soar 51% uh, this past year. Um, so, so here, here's a look at, at some of these things. Um, let's see. Uh, you just want the total price, don't you? I can feel it. Okay, here's the, here's the full package. If you avoid the repetition of the song and you just get the 12 gifts, this year it will run you $41,205 for you, and there's some, like, that means that your loved one will receive, I think, somewhere about 128 birds in the repetition of the song. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that, how it's just a lot of birds? Maybe it's really not about love after all. Maybe that wouldn't be fun. Well, last week we started a, a short Christmas series called The Promise of Christmas, and, um, and last week we talked about preparing for Christmas and uh, how many parents right now are preparing for Christmas. Kids are preparing for Christmas. Maybe they're thinking through all of their unwrapping skills and uh, maybe you're preparing a great meal for Christmas. But last week we talked about how it was 1,800 years before the birth of Jesus that God set out on Project Christmas where he began to prepare a people for himself by which the Messiah then would one day be born through this large family, this great nation. It all started when God approached a man named Abraham, and he asked Abraham to leave everything, and he made Abraham a promise. That promise would ultimately lead to becoming the greatest promise of Christmas because the Messiah would come from this man named Abraham. Now, Abraham, again, was very old, around 100 years old, and his wife as well. And in order to be a great nation, you have to have a lot of kids, you have to have land, and you have to have a governance. 
of which Abraham had none, he and his wife, childless, nearing being a century old. And so ultimately, what we know is that when God makes a promise, he can follow through on his promises even when they seem impossible. So God has been preparing for Christmas. He prepared for it many years before. And here's what we learned last week from this story of Abraham, is that God is prepared to first initiate relationship with you. When God initiated a relationship with Abraham, Abraham was a sun worshiper. He, wasn't, he didn't know God like we know God today. But God chose Abraham just like he chooses each one of us. And the second thing is that we know that God has a promise for you. And thirdly, that God prepared a promise that cannot be broken. And so the promise of Christmas is that God can do impossible things. And that's still true today. That's what Christmas reminds us of, is that God can do the impossible. So today I want to talk about promises fulfilled. Promises fulfilled. Now when we, when we talk about Abraham, uh, we, we talked about this earlier in the year, but Abraham, remember, when God found Abraham, he was a, a sun worshiper. And so to the people in that day and age, God was always up. And so they always tried to please this, this God of the sky, or the God of the sun, the God of the moon. And to them, God was always far off and, and deserved and needed to be pleased in some way. Well, 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 then this God that was up comes to Abraham, initiates relationship, and then we go on through the Bible and from the promise God made with Abraham, and then we end up with a man named David. Uh, well, well, let's start with Moses. We, we come to a man named Moses. Everybody knows Moses, right? The Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea. Well, it was under Moses' leadership that they built for God a tabernacle. Also, it was, it was a tent. And so to them, during Moses' time, God lived in a tent called the tabernacle. And this is where they would worship him and, and offer worship to him each year, atonement for sin in a tent. Well, then we fast forward through the Bible. We get to a man named David, King David. Kids, you remember King David? He slayed the giant. Remember this story? Well, under King David's leadership, they thought, well, well a tent just isn't good enough for our God. We, we have God Almighty. He deserves a temple. So they built for God a temple, and it was believed that that is where the presence of God was. It was in a temple. So we go back to when God initiated a relationship with Abraham. God was always up. And some people still are stuck in this lane even today. They still think that God is a far-off being. He's somewhere up in the sky, and he looks down amongst us tiny humans like we're little ants in his sight, and he's unaware of the details of our lives. He is far up, and we have to do things in order to please him for him to notice us. Well, well then, so from God being up to God being in a tent to God being in a temple, it was Christmas that then became God among us through the birth of Jesus. You see, so there is a progress through the Bible where God is seemingly getting closer He's getting closer. Now, was he far off all the way back in Abraham's time? No, no. God's never changed. He's always been near. But 
our human perception was that he was far off. And then he had to be contained in a tabernacle. And then he had to be built a temple. But Christmas was unlike any other thing that any other religion had ever seen, was that God would enter into our world and be near. And so what Christmas illustrates for us is that Christmas illustrates the nearness of God. That God is near to you today. He's not a far-off character and not a far-off being that somehow you have to do enough good works for him to like you, for him to notice you. But no, God, on that Christmas morning all those years ago, entered into our world and demonstrates for us his nearness. Isaiah 7.14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. He's with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but have you ever wondered, then why did we name him Jesus? <laughs> when Isaiah 7.14 says we, we will call him Emmanuel, I've wondered that. But the, but the prophet Isaiah, just two chapters later, actually calls Jesus many other things. For instance, it says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, we didn't name him any of those things either. <laughs> And it points to the fact that the prophet is speaking to characters of the coming Messiah. That, that to call him Emmanuel means that he will be a, a near-to-you God. He will be close to you. That, that he is wonder, a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God, an everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. So that, that although we didn't, he wasn't named those things, these are symbolic of the coming Messiah's nature, of his character, of who he is. And in Matthew 1.22, kind of right where we left off this morning after worship, it says all this took place. All what took place? All of this took place from the, the birth of Jesus, the conception of Jesus, and how it took place. It all took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Through which prophet? The one we just read from in Isaiah that was written 700 plus years before his birth, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Christmas illustrates for us today the nearness of God. He's not far away. You don't have to journey to some land and it's some faraway place to find him. He is near. He is near today. That God is always a whisper away. That he is a God that you can always call upon in a time of trouble, in a time of need. For scripture says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So why would God 
a God like this, why would he come to us? Why would, why would God enter into our broken world, full of evil and despair, and why would he go through all that trouble when so many would reject him and then ultimately nail him to a cross? The reason that God would go through all of that is because Christmas also, it highlights for us the love of God. Christmas highlights the love of God. That's why every Christmas I can't help but just be really reflective on how great and how marvelous is the love of God. That he would enter into our world. He would live the perfect life that I would never achieve on my own. And then he would live only for one reason, in order to die a criminal's death that I deserved. And he did all of that for you. He did all of that for me. To bring you freedom, to bring you healing, to bring you wholeness, and to give you purpose. The single greatest reason for Christmas is the expression of the love of God. His crazy love for you. Nothing would keep him from pursuing a relationship with you. It was almost as though, without him expressing himself in our world, it's almost as though God was saying, hey, I love you, I love you, and was ignored for so long that he had to enter into our world and get in our face and say, I love you, all the way to the cross. I love you. Nails in his hands, stripes on his back. This is for you. Isaiah 54, 10 It says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Because watch this, familiar scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So why Christmas? It's because God loved. The promise of Christmas highlights the love of God. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But, but listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christmas highlights the love of God. I remember there was times as a child, kids, that I remember being so excited for Christmas, opening gifts, and uh, in my house where I grew up, uh, my family, uh, we, were, we were fairly poor when, when I grew up. My, my parents had four boys, and uh, you know, Christmas was something they really had to plan for. I remember being so poor that my mom would rinse and reuse Ziploc bags. And so Christmas was always, you know, you, never, you, you just never knew what you'd get. And uh, come to find out, sometimes some of my presents came from uh, used things that my mom acquired from family members. But as a kid, I didn't know, I didn't know that. But I always felt so loved and appreciated. But I remember there was one Christmas in particular that really blew my mind. That Christmas, um, one of the first things I opened up was a, a 
David Robinson basketball jersey. San, San Antonio Spurs back in the day. Come on, somebody. David Robinson. And uh, I, was, I was like, oh, no way. And, and there's a picture of me on that Christmas morning wearing the jersey. Like it came out of the wrapping paper and went right on me, right? But that wasn't all. The last gift my parents gave us, they said, now Josh and Devin, yeah, he's my older brother. The other two were a little younger. And my, my parents said, this one is really for the whole family, which really meant for maybe Josh and I most because we can control the younger two. <laughs> and so they, they placed this gift before us, and we began to open it together. And I didn't think it would ever be possible that I could have a Super Nintendo. But there it was. At the time, the only video games we had, we had the old Game Boy, big fat Game Boy. I even had the battery pack that you clipped on the back. I even had the, the lens that went over top of the screen with the light in it so you could play in dim light. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. Pockets full of AA batteries. It was the life. We also had an old video game unit that uh, I think a family member gave our family, and it was called a ColecoVision. Does anybody remember the ColecoVision? The ColecoVision was kind of like an Atari, and you had this joystick that had a coiled cord that had to be plugged in, like a telephone cord, and you had this large remote that had a joystick and a number pad. I don't know what the number pad was ever used for. I just remember the joystick. And that was kind of all we had. And we had one color TV in our house and one black and white TV. The color TV, it was, had the knobs, you had the turn, um, that, that whole deal. And so when we opened this Super Nintendo that Christmas morning, it was like mind-blowing to us as kids. I couldn't help but think about how much that probably cost my parents. And I couldn't help but think about how I knew that you know, uh, we didn't have much growing up. I mean, good Lord, my mom's washing Ziploc bags. And, uh, and, and, and I just remember that all my clothes for next year came from a box that my older brother's clothes went in the year before, you know. Um, and and I, I wore tennis shoes that my mom found at a garage sale four years before I was big enough to wear them because she could get them for 50 cents. And so I had these pair of purple filas I thought they were cool. I waited four years to wear them. But apparently when I went to school, I was called Purple Fila Boy. <laughs> Hurt my feelings. I wore those shoes for the first semester. And then finally when my mom heard this, she said, why do they call you Purple Fila Boy? And I was like. <laughs> and my mom was so devastated because I went half the year wearing them that she took me out and bought me new shoes. Anyway, I, Super Nintendo. I remember for days, maybe even weeks, thanking my parents over and over again for that Super Nintendo because I knew the cost. And I knew the sacrifice it had to have taken. I was full of gratitude. And moreover, it made me realize how much they must have loved us for do, to do something so generous for us. And each Christmas, I'm reminded that we have a Heavenly Father that presented before all of humanity 
such an extravagant gift of generosity that, that had such high price that God essentially bankrupt heaven and placed it in a manger as a gift to each and every one of us. And as a young boy, when I became aware of this great extravagant move of God's love on not just a Christmas story, but when it became personal to me, when I recognized that it was the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection that brought forgiveness to all of my failures, all of my mistakes, when I realized that it was through the Son of God that I could be, I could be made right with God again, when I came to that realization, I said, God, how extravagant is your love? Not only that, but I will spend the rest of my life thanking you. As, as though weeks of thanking my parents for a Super Nintendo was extravagant, thanks, no, no, no. This kind of gift that God has placed before humanity, I think it deserves a life of worship unto him. His love is so extravagant for you that God would reach deep, deep down in his pockets and, he, and, he, and he, lo- he searched heaven for the most expensive thing to present to you. But it led his search to finding the most valuable thing in being his son. And he offered it as a gift. And through that gift, and it's literally a gift. You understand this? I, I want you to understand that Jesus is a gift. Romans talks about how it is a, that salvation is a gift from God. In other words, when you present a gift to a loved one, you don't ask them to pay. You don't ask them to, to be right, act right, do right, or pay right. You just want them to receive. And if you've ever given a generous gift to somebody and they say, no, 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 how, no, 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 that's way too much. Your response is, no, 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 no. I, I did this for you. <laughs> like, like, please, please do, don't do me the disservice to, to reject my gift. Receive my gift. Because part of it is to see how it, it will enlighten your face and make you feel loved. And, and, and that exact tra- thing is happening between God and people that God has presented a free gift, his son, by which, through which salvation and the forgiveness of sin comes. And some people say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't know what I've done. I, I don't deserve that. How, wow, that's just too much. And God's saying, no, no, no. Please freely receive. You see, it is a free gift. You don't got to clean your life up first. You don't have to impress God with your good behavior as if we could ever impress God. I mean, he's God. He wants you to freely receive the gift of Jesus, salvation, forgiveness of sin. You don't have to change to receive Jesus, but when you receive Jesus, it will change you. The third thing is that Christmas, Christmas is a promise fulfilled Several prophecies 
that were even given 700 plus years before the birth of Jesus were fulfilled just at Christ's birth. Moreover, Jesus' entire life would fulfill approximately 350 prophecies given in the Old Testament. These are things that were documented in Scripture hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled all of them. While thinking about the circumstances surrounding Christ's birth, believers can rejoice that the Messiah has come to earth and that he has dealt with our sin. We can praise God for fulfilling his promises. And, uh, and we can have complete confidence that he will always be faithful to do what he said he would do. Despite what many people may believe today, the religions and the religious leaders of our world, all religions are not the same. They're not the same. There are people in our culture that promote a claim that Jesus was just another religious leader amongst some of the others. That he was a good person. He tried to make life better for others. But Jesus is so unique in many, many respects. He alone was a good person since really he lived a sinless life. Every other religion and their leaders have been sinful and in need of a Savior. But Jesus didn't need a Savior. He was the Savior. And unlike any other religion, there's these prophecies that foretell Jesus. I mean, think about it. There are no prophecies, no prophecies foretelling details about the birth of other religions. There are no prophecies that alerted the world of the coming great Muhammad. There was no prophecies that a Joseph Smith was to found Mormonism. There was no prophecies of Charles Taze Russell that would found Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no prophecies of Siddhartha, of the founding of Buddhism, or any other founder in the world's religions. Yet, the Old Testament pinpointed, pinpointed numerous, numerous details about the life of the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So Christmas is a promise fulfilled. And with promises fulfilled such as that, I hope it leads you to recognize you can trust God. You can place your trust in Him. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was 
like a husband to them, declares the Lord. And then in the 34th verse it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is long before the coming of Jesus. That God is calling his shot. And he is saying that I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to make a new promise. I'm going to have a new covenant. A new agreement with with mankind. Because in the past, all of my agreements with people have been broken. Because people are broken. But God says, I'm going to make a new agreement with, with, with the people of the earth that cannot be broken. And the only way to do it is if I send my son to uphold their half. He'll live the perfect life and he'll die their death. And then, and only then, can people be made right with me again. It will cost them nothing. It will mean they have to have faith. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. So let me ask you a question. Who but God can fulfill the promise to forgive our sin? Childlike faith. Who but God? That's a question I have for you this Christmas. I think there's no other. No other but God. Just like we've talked about today, that that maybe today can be an early Christmas for you. That you would receive now the gift of God, His Son Jesus, who was born with one mission to die for one reason to have you. Would you allow God's story that has been active since the beginning of time to have? a beginning in you today. It's very simple. Unlike maybe what other religious leaders have told you in the past, you don't have to work for it. You can't earn it. God has already done it all for you. He has made the table and invited you to come and take a seat. So maybe this morning, somebody here today has, maybe you've never received God's call on your life. Maybe you've never received, maybe you've never become a believer. I hope maybe today you would take a step of faith. It's the only thing that's required of you. Not good works, you just need faith. And when God's story is active and alive in your life, it will transform your life. And so if you would with me, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give each and every one of us an opportunity to respond to God's story. Because who but God, who but God could forgive sin? Who but God could heal you from the inside out? Who but God can restore you, even 
even beyond the things that have happened in your past, God can restore you. If you're here today and you want to respond to God's story, no, no one's watching you. Just, I just ask that here in a second that you'll just lift a hand so I know that I'm praying for you today. We're all going to pray together. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Devin, I want to respond to God's story. I've never really put my trust in him before. But I'm ready to start to have some faith in this. Would you, and then I, I'm asking help for my next steps. So if you're here today and you would say, I want to respond to God's story, maybe for the first time, or maybe, maybe you've left, and now you're returning to faith again. If that's you today, would you just slip a hand up just high enough that I can see so we know who we're praying for today? Thank you, thank you. Once you and once you put them up, you can put them down. Awesome. Now I'm going to pray. If you just pray with me in the quietness of your own heart, you don't have to say all of my words. You can say your own words. But it just sounds something like this. God, I, I receive the gift of salvation. I confess that I've made my mistakes. I need help with my future steps. But God, will you forgive me? I place my trust in you like I would trust a parachute. I take the leap and I trust that your way is going to be the best way because I've tried other paths. I've tried it my way and it's always led to darkness and despair. But I place my trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the rest of us today, God's story is not over. What he began in ancient times is still moving forward today. And God's story continues through the lives of faithful people. So listen, followers of Jesus, I charge you today to continue to be active in God's story. And that this week, maybe that you could let God's love be known to somebody in your sphere of influence. And that New Life Church would always be moving forward, not with our agendas, but in the agenda of God for his glory. To see lives changed, hope found, and relationships restored. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. I want to bless you before you go. Lord, I I pray that you would bless each and every family that's here today. God, as we celebrate Christmas with our loved ones this week, Lord, as we we have our work parties and and share goodies and holiday traditions, Lord, may we deepen our hearts, we reflect and remember the incredible gift of generosity that you gave to our world. It was your son. He came to die and to set us free from everything that has held us back. Lord, I bless Lord, our church, all of our friends, and every guest here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time.